I invite you to turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 5. Even if it's not well with your soul today, it can be before you leave this place. Nehemiah chapter 5, titled this sermon, Compassion and Convictions. Compassion and Convictions. Former professional baseball player turned evangelist, he became an evangelist, Billy Sunday says this, you can do everything that would apparently stamp you as a Christian, even pray, but you won't ever be a Christian until you do what God tells you to do. And that's true. You can know every hymn in the hymn book. You can know every praise song. You can go to every conference. You can go to church every single Sunday. You can know a lot about the Lord You can know a lot about religion here in the South. But unless you obey the Lord, you cannot be a Christian. There are two evidences of salvation. Number one is this. You will be compassionate. Freely we have received. Freely we give. Almost every single hospital, major hospital chain in America was started by Christians. So if you're, if you're saved, if you're born again, you will be compassionate. We forgive other people because why? Because we've been forgiven. And so compassion is a byproduct of you giving compassion because of your walk with the Lord. Number two, a byproduct of salvation is another one, is convictions. You will have Convictions. Miriam Webster defines a conviction as this a strong persuasion or belief. You will do what God tells you to do if you know the Lord. When God saves a man, when God saves a woman, He gives them, the Bible says, a new heart. And that new heart wants to obey a sovereign God. We obey His Word. Christians have certain beliefs grounded in the Word of God. Why? Because we trust Him and we trust His Word. Sadly, in our culture today, we have a lot of beliefs that are not grounded in the clear commands of Scripture. And that's another sermon for a different time. We do a lot of things. Some are bad, some are good, that aren't in the Bible. But if you are never compassionate, if you never have convictions, there's a chance today, 2019, that you have never experienced salvation. Let me ask you this. If you're not saved today, would you want to know it? I mean, if you're going to hell for all eternity today, would you want to know that? If you're not right with the Lord today, would you want to know that? You see, God's here in the house. He has a word for you. And I believe that there's a battle raging in the heavenlies right now. I believe that's why we had so many little small issues with our sound and uh, screens and 
music and stuff. But you can't stop the Lord. I was just smiling the whole time. I'm so excited. You can't stop what God's going to do. So let's pray right now and ask God to breathe on His on us through His Word. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that You would fix our hearts. Lord, that any preconceived idea that we have about this moment, Lord, I pray that You would crush it. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that You would speak to Your people. God, I pray that You would pursue that heart that's running hard from You. God, that You would overwhelm them with Your love and Your grace and Your mercy today. You're a good God and You're faithful and You are for Your people. And Lord, I pray that You would show up and show out for Your glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 5 gives us some keen insight into the life of a cupbearer who was compassionate and who had strong convictions. Chapter 5. If you've already read through it, then you would know that it is kind of a grim chapter. It's, <clears throat> there was a famine going on. Taxes were high. People were broke. People were trying to feed their families. Life was very difficult. Everyone was in survival mode. There's not a lot of building going on. In fact, there is no building of the wall recorded in Nehemiah chapter 5. So let's see what it says. Verses 1 through 5 is where we'll start out. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there arose, for, for there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. There were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Well, there's for an exciting paragraph of Scripture. Here's what's happening. The Jewish people were robbing their own people by interest in mortgages. And they were paying, and they had indentured slaves. There were even children who were becoming indentured servants. And then there was a snowball effect of interest that compounded. It started small, but it grew. And there were some people who were loaning stuff out for their own gain, to get ahead. There were some people not loaning things out and having fair interest and whatnot, but they were taking advantage of the situation. Sure, I'll let you borrow this, knowing all the time they couldn't pay it. Knowing they would take over that house, they would take over that property, they would take over their resources. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the Bible says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's 
slaves. That's why you get all those credit card paraphernalia in the mail. Because they want you to run that bill up, and they want you not to pay it right away. They want you to wait a little while so they can get rich off of you. And they'd like you to be in debt to them your whole life because that means they're going to get paid more. God wants His people not to be slaves to the lender because He knows that the lender will rule over us and that will become an idol in our life. Some people are so passionate and so concerned with debt that they're distracted from ministry and from other things in life. And God knows that. That's why He tells us, do not be slave to the lender. There was, in Deuteronomy 15, the Bible marked out ways for the Israelites whenever they didn't have anything to dig out of that hole. And God gave them a prescription. It was a short-term employment agreement to where these peasant farmers could work and the goal was that in six years or less they would get off the payroll of another farmer and become self-sufficient, independent, self-sustainable. And the goal was for that to happen in six years or less. Now, let's go to verse 6. Nehemiah, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent. Could not find a word to say. What was the problem? Here's the problem. In Deuteronomy 15, God told the Israelites, specifically to the Israelites, do not add interest when you help people out, when you try to get them out of poverty. Don't do it. Here was the problem with the people in Nehemiah chapter 5. They neglected the Word of God. You see, they had some convictions. They had some convictions. Some of the men said, I've got to feed my family. Now that's a pretty good, that's a good thing. And they had convictions that, well, Nehemiah's in my ear about building on this wall. So I've got to work on the wall, and I've got to feed my family, and I've got to pay the, my taxes, and life's hard. But they violated the Word of God. See, they had a lot of convictions But one of their main convictions they should have had was to obey and adhere to the Word of God. But they disregarded the Word. They didn't care. They said, well, God said that back in Deuteronomy 15, and that was a few years ago, and and maybe God's changed His mind. They disregarded the Word of the Lord. Today, you may have a lot of convictions. You may have convictions to work hard. You may have convictions to make a lot of money, to be a good business manager, to take care of your family. But friend, if you disregard the Word of the Lord, then you are not doing as you ought to do. 
Is there an issue today where you know right now that you are disregarding the Word of the Lord? And I would follow that up with God's way is best. His Word is good and we can trust it. And it's not to hold us back from good things. It's to protect us and it's to, in fact, bless us. Verse 8, Nehemiah calls him out. Basically, Nehemiah says, isn't it ironic that a few years ago some of you guys were slaves to Pharaoh? And now you are basically owning your own people? Nehemiah says, guys, do you not have any convictions? Is this, this is not right. He calls them out. Nehemiah had conviction. He said, this is not right. Why is no one doing anything about this? Who is okay with this? Nehemiah had convictions. I wonder in America, in a day and age where the slaughtering of babies is acceptable in our culture, I wonder if God's people are going to have some convictions today, tomorrow, the next day. Nehemiah called them out. In verse 9, he tells them what they should do. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Nehemiah says, you should walk in the fear of our God because your testimony depends on it. That's what he's saying there in verse 9. He says, your testimony depends on whether you fear the Lord or not. Same goes today. By how you live outside of these walls, that's your testimony. And people see it. And it is either going to bring glory to God, or it's going to make people doubt the Lord. It's going to make people think, man, is God trustworthy? Is is all the Christians hypocrites? Uh, Does God care about me? Is there anybody who will stand for right and stand up against injustice? Is there anybody? You see, your testimony matters. So Nehemiah was firm, but look what he does. He shows compassion in verse 10. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. You see, Nehemiah, he may not even have realized it, or he may have, but he was involved in it as well. And he even even confesses his own sin. He says, I am my brother's. He says, my servants, we're lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Then Nehemiah says this, Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. They were gracious. Nehemiah agreed and told the people, he was the governor, by the way, to return all these things. To be generous. To err on the side of grace. You know, that's how God's people ought to be. Did you know that? God's people should err on the side of grace and compassion. 
people in our church, First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis, are generous because they have a generous God. I found out last week that every single child going to kids camp in our church, because of a lot of different people, they every kid's way has been paid fully. Every kid going to kids camp. I found out there's been people giving money to help our students go to student camp this summer. Yesterday, there was a group of men and women in our church led by Wayne uh, that they fed, I believe, cooked over 30 Boston butts and I don't know how many chickens. 100 chickens? 80 pounds, okay. So that's, that's a lot of chicken. That's over 100 chickens. For fellowship, but also so that people could come and partake. And our building was filled with people from the streets, from the community, from Covington, Louisiana, from all over. Why? Because God's people are gracious and compassionate. Some of those folks stayed up all night long to cook that food. Compassion. Verse 12, they did something amazing. They repented of their actions. And then they had a game plan. They they had an accountability game plan. Verse 13, also... I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, "You may, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. The plan was that Nehemiah and the priest would hold the people accountable from not falling back into this slavery and this compounding of interest on God's people. Here's the truth from this, those two verses. True repent, repentance is not afraid of accountability. I'll say it again. True repentance is not afraid of accountability. If you're afraid of accountability, then you didn't really repent. You just felt sorry for your sin. And you can feel sorry for your sin and bust hell wide open. There's a difference. True repentance is not afraid of accountability. Verse 15. Verse 14, I'm sorry. Moreover, from the, last, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were with me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Here's why. Because of the fear of God. Because of the fear of God. These former governors, they were bad, corrupt Politicians, that's what they were. But Nehemiah was not. Why? Why was he different? Because of his convictions. 
because he feared the Lord. <clears throat> Today, we need to be ready to do the Lord's will with our finances, our entertainment choices, our lives. God's called His people to be holy. Proverbs 16 says, There will be a highway called the way of holiness. The unclean will not travel it. Only those who walk in that way, the fools, will not stray onto it. The highway of the upright leads away from evil. He who guards his way protects his life. You say, well, pastor, isn't that kind of uppity? No. Not whenever you have the attitude that you don't deserve anything, that you, you have sinned against the holy God, and you know, man, if it's up to you, you don't deserve anything. You know you've blown it. You, you were born a sinner, and, and anything else on top of God's forgiveness is just gravy on top. And if you understand where you were and how far God has brought you through salvation. Do you have some convictions today? I want to encourage you. <clears throat> you ought to get you some. Get in the Word and get you some convictions. I have a few convictions I'd like to share, and they might offend somebody, and I want you to hear me out, okay? And, I tr- and I've gotten these convictions from the Word of God, if you're wondering, well, where do you get these? Because there are a lot of convictions that people get, and they're not from the Bible. A lot of them. A lot of them. Another sermon for another time. I won't talk about it so bad, but I can't. But I have some convictions as a believer, not as a pastor, okay? As, as a Christian. These are some convictions that I have. And it's not all of them. I've got a lot more than that based on the Word. Number one, I believe every Word of God is true. I believe that. Why do I believe it? Well, God changed my life. He saved me, put a new song in my heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. So God's Word says that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. Then I believe, I want to stand on that, every Word of God, every single word of the Word of God. I believe it. I live my life, I want to live my life on it. I may not always do that well, but I want to. Because I believe God's Word is inerrant, it's holy, it's alive, It's awesome. It's a double-edged sword. Number two, I believe today that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, why do I believe that? Well, the Bible says in John 14, 6, that very thing. But I also believe it because I know Him. And I've known Him to be a saving God and a life-changing God. I know it from my own experience. I know it from the experiences of many of my friends and family members. Another conviction I have is I believe we should not be entertained by darkness. This is where it gets a little squirrely for some people. Look, if you get real uncomfortable, just try to... This doesn't have to be your conviction, okay? This is just some of my convictions. I believe we should not be entertained by darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So that's just a conviction I have. That I don't want to have anything to do. I don't, I, don't, I don't use the Ouija board. I don't find the horoscope section of the newspaper. I don't want to touch any of that. I don't want to watch uh, extremely horrific, filled with violence and pornography, uh, horror movie. Why? Because I don't want to have fun? No, I just I believe 
that I shouldn't have anything to do with darkness. Anytime we try to manipulate the spirit realm to alter physical circumstances outside of prayer, you're playing with darkness. I don't have anything to do with witchcraft. I don't want my children to have anything to do with witchcraft or any appearance of witchcraft. The Bible says have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Now sometimes you may say, well, I don't know. Is it, is it the darkness or is it just something else? Well, Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, test and prove what pleases the Lord. So test it and prove it. Get in the Word and get you some convictions. If you stay far from the sewer, there's a greater chance you will not smell like sewage. Made that up myself last night. It's not very impressive, but that's how I thought about it. Another one, conviction I have, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. Matthew 16, Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is God's plan A to reach the nations. The church is God's plan A to raise up pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. To raise up leaders. The church is a hospital for the hurting, and it's a lighthouse for the searching. I believe in the church. Another conviction I have, this is where it's going to get real. We might just have to shut her down after this. I believe drinking alcohol is not a wise choice. Now before you get all up in arms, just hear me out. And then you can believe what you want to believe. I have two reasons based on Scripture why I believe it's unwise. There may be some liberty there, but I believe it's unwise. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. It's not a matter of liberty, but it's a matter of wisdom. Based on Scripture. Number two. Second reason I, I believe drinking alcohol is not wise. It can harm my witness. And I don't want my brother or my sister to stumble in any way. Romans 14 verse 21 says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, I, I can hear people saying it in their, in their minds, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Yes, He did. Nehemiah, even in this own chapter here, they returned wine. And I would say they also didn't have a whole lot of other beverage choices. Some water was contaminated, some water was good. A lot of my close friends, and I, I want to be transparent right now, I have never tasted I don't know what beer tastes like. But I know what it smells like because I had it poured on top of me a lot of times at a football game in Oxford, Mississippi. Drenching it. I have drugged guys down hallways and tucked them in their bed at night. So because of my experience in college and because of all my a lot of close friends in high school, was, alcohol was always the one thing that just knocked them off their spiritual walk with the Lord. That would be just a way, and then it would just, after that, they just wouldn't have, 
would run far from the Lord. So because of that, I began to pray, God, would you give me a wife that I don't have to deal that that I don't have to worry about her just her pursuit of alcohol. And I just prayed, God, would you give me a wife that she just don't want to have anything to do with it? That was a specific prayer request. And so the first time I picked up Allison and we went to go study, I it wasn't really a date. It was more of a, I got to check this girl out, and she's trying to figure me out. And So we get in my vehicle, and we're actually going to the library down the street from her house because I was working on a project. It was actually on Billy Graham. And we get in the car, and I mean, we're not even out of her parents' neighborhood before we, somehow alcohol came up, and she said, well, I just want you to know right now, stuck her hand out, looked at me. I don't have anything to do with it. And I don't like it. I don't want to be around it. And I just was thinking, oh my goodness. It's one of the most attractive things I've ever heard a woman say. And I, I mean, my heart started beating. I thought, man, this girl might be the one. Nobody never plans on becoming an alcoholic. Did you know that? Nobody never plans on it. According to the International Medical Journal, the Lancet, a study done recently, 2018, alcohol is the leading cause, is a leading cause of death in the world. It's killing ne- nearly 3 million people per year. And they, their study shows there's no safe level of drinking alcohol. National Center, Center for Alcohol Abuse and the Center for Disease Control says that alcohol kills 88,000 Americans every year. Now that is more than every single illegal drug combined. Did you hear me? So when you see the politicians running for office and all this stuff, you'll hear them talk about all these drugs and you'll hear them talk about opioids and all those things. But alcohol has proven on paper to kill more people than all those other drugs combined. And yet, nobody talks about it. You know why? Because God's people don't have any convictions and they're afraid. British scientists, British, okay, where they invented some alcoholic beverages. Britain, some scientists in London did a study on alcohol. They found that alcohol was three times more harmful to the body than cocaine and tobacco. There's a lot, there are millions of people sitting in American prisons today because they sold illegal drugs or they smoked marijuana or sold marijuana, and yet we celebrate alcohol, which is proven on paper, to damage more lives. We ought to let some of those people go free. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. But we have a double standard. Teen alcohol use in America kills 4,700 people each year. Recent study, Pacific Institute for Research and Evaluation, shows that drunk driving costs the United States $132 billion. And we pay for this through our taxes and through higher insurance premiums. Jesus turned water into wine, Pastor. Yes, He did. He also wrote Proverbs 20, verse 1. and said, He who is led astray by it is not wise. Get you some convictions and get them from the Word. You say, Pastor, that's just our culture. That's just American culture, and that's just the culture here on the coast, and there are certain things we do, and... And that's just tradition, and that's how it is. And I'll say to that, when was, when did, where does it show in the Bible 
that believers, Christians, are supposed to get their morality from the culture. I believe God wants us to be the salt of the earth, to to be uh, change agents for our culture, to be light in the darkness. Our culture slaughters babies in the womb and now outside of the womb. Does that make it right? No. We get our convictions from the Word of God. It does not change. Now, you can just feel when you start talking about things in our culture that everybody participates in. Everybody gets nervous. And if it makes you uncomfortable just to talk about it or think about it, then that might be a problem. You say, well, Pastor, I like to drink, but I'm not addicted to it. Well, if you're not addicted to it, then just stop. Just see if you can stop for six months just to find out if you're addicted. Well, I'm not, I can quit anytime I want to. Well, try to quit just for six months. See if you can do it. You see, a lot of times your body is chemically dependent upon it. Now, just because I don't have that struggle doesn't mean I'm anybody special. And just because you may not struggle with this or with that doesn't make, mean that you're some super spiritual person. At the end of the day, we're all going to be accountable to the Lord. So Nehemiah was a great man of compassion, but also he had convictions. Today, I wonder if you realize your life is not right with the Lord. You know today that you, you may not be saved. I want to tell you a quick story from the Bible. Cain and Abel. Abel brought a sacrifice to God that was, that was worthy. Cain brought a sacrifice, and Cain probably worked hard for this sacrifice. I mean, he probably cut the flowers and, and watered the, the ground and, and made sure that the plants had sunshine, and he brought this sacrifice to God. Now, Scripture, you can read through it, and it seems like he didn't do a good job, but he probably had a very presentable sacrifice. But you know the problem with a sacrifice? Cain's sacrifice to God that was unacceptable is because... There was no shedding of blood. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I mean, Cain may have worked hard, sweat. He may have bled on his own, but without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Today, maybe in your life, you have religion, you have a lot of Baptist-ness. You have a lot of church running through your veins. But friend, if you've never repented and believed in the Lord Jesus and put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and His shedding of blood, then you cannot be saved. And the good news is today, God is not throwing stuff at you. He's not hurling insults at you. That's the language of the devil. In fact, some of you, when you heard me talk about certain things while I go about my convictions, the devil is in your ear saying, see, and just condemning you. And that, that was not me. That was the enemy. Because there's a war raging right now. And God wants you to see that He is for you, not against you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to stop being enslaved to things in this world. And He wants to set you free. Our God today is a God of love, mercy, and grace. He is compassionate. The Bible says that when we repent, when we come to Christ, when we ask God to forgive us, He will forgive us. And He'll take our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is? That's a long ways. 
It's like you're in space and He just takes your sin and He hurls it, a fastball through space in the opposite direction from where you're going. Isn't that good? He chooses to forget your sin no more. No matter what you've done, that's the line of the lie you hear today. Well, I've blown it. I've been in this cycle of darkness and sin and, and, and sickness for so many years and I can't get out. Friend, you might not can climb out yourself, but you can call upon the name of the Lord to rescue you, and He will. It's possible today for you to say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, but then there's no repentance. There's no truly turning away. And that's not true repentance. That's just feeling bad for your sin. And feeling bad that somebody knew about it or found out about it. But God wants you to be set free. He don't want to see you. He wants to see you be the man that God's called you to be, the woman that God's called you to be. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. God wants you to sing a new song to him. I'm sure he likes the old songs, but all through the Psalms, he says, sing a new song. He didn't say all through the Psalms, sing an old song. Sing a new song to the Lord. You can sing a new song today to the Lord from what God does in your life. I want to ask you to close your eyes and let's have a time of reflection. Today, if you don't know Christ, if you know that God has been working on you the past few weeks and months and He's led you to this moment, I want you to listen to me. I'm about to say a prayer to help guide you through how to receive Jesus to be your Lord of your life. How to be saved. It's not something you do, but one time. And it's just words. It's not a perfect thing. It's not Salvation comes through repentance and faith in the Gospel. And the Gospel is that Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was buried. And three days later, He rose again in victory. And so when we are saved, God draws us to Himself. But there has to be a change in our heart. And sometimes God uses a prayer to articulate what God's doing on the inside. So I'm going to say a prayer. And if you want to accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you want to be totally forgiven of your sins, if you want to commit to following the Lord, that means you've got to change. That means you've got to agree with Him that sin is sin and you have to Give up your old ways and follow Him. Then I want you to close your eyes. I want you to say these words after me. And I'm going to say one line at a time. I want you to think about it. And I want you to say it. Just simply say to the Lord right now, Oh God, I am a sinner. Say that to the Lord. Now simply say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm willing to turn away from my sin. Right now, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior.
I want to receive Him as the Lord of my life. From this moment on, I want to follow Him in the fellowship of the church. Amen. And amen. If you said that prayer and you meant every word of it, I want to encourage you right now during this time of invitation to come, grab Pastor James by the hand, say, Brother, I don't know what I just did, but I believe there's something going off inside of me, and I believe that God showed me I'm messed up, and I need a Savior, and I don't know how or why, but I know Jesus is the one that can save me. If you didn't pray that and you have some questions, come grab us by the hand. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If you're a believer in the house and you realize, you know what? I'm letting the convictions of our culture determine how I think. And that not ought to be the case. Maybe you realize today that Nehemiah was a man of conviction. Not because he was anything special. You see, having convictions doesn't make you special or spiritually superior. Having convictions is simply having a belief grounded on the Word of God. And I believe conviction is important. And that's how God speaks to His people through convictions. That's how He protects His people. That's how He raises up beautiful, healthy families. That's how He raises up healthy church members is when God's people have convictions. I'm going to pray and we'll have a time to respond to God's Word today. You respond as the Lord leads you. God, we pray.